Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African perspective, broadcasting live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu. In studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at this hour. UN renews mandate of its peacekeeping mission in the DRC and South Africa's president may face another no-confidence motion. In economics news, Total buys Gulf Africa Petroleum Corporation's assets. And in sports news, a search for Bafana Bafana continues. Coach continues. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. Very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musam. Leader of South Africa's opposition, the Democratic Alliance, Musi Maimani, says he has convened a meeting of leaders of all opposition parties in Johannesburg to agree on the way forward to remove President Jacob Zuma from office. Maimani says it's time for South Africans from all walks of life to stand up for the Constitution and all that it represents. This follows the Cabinet reshuffle on Thursday that saw five ministers, including the former Finance Minister Praveen Gordon and his Team Kavisi Jonas removed from the finance portfolio. My money elaborates. We're running fast out of time to save our country from the clutches of what is now a Zuma administration different to that that was brought forward in our South Africa by leaders such as Nelson Mandela. But now an organization led by Jacob Zuma and Gupta bosses. It is now more than ever that our commitment to removing President Jacob Zuma from power is more resolute. The Speaker of South Africa's Parliament, Balekambete, says she will consider a request from opposition parties to hold a no-confidence vote on President Zuma. The DA requested that Parliament convene speedily to discuss the motion. This is in the wake of Zuma's decision to sack the former Finance Minister, Praveen Gordon, and his deputy. The reshuffle has also been met with fierce criticism by civil society and senior leaders within the ANC. Mbete says the request will be prioritised. As and when a motion of this magnitude is called and is in line with the rules, it must be scheduled and must receive priority. I will therefore, as of today, begin a process of consultation contemplated in the rules in the consideration of the request submitted. I envisage that the consultation should be concluded as soon as possible. Once the consultation process is concluded, my office will duly write to all the parties involved to advise them of the outcome. Mali's opposition parties have taken tentative steps to 
towards ending their boycott of a political summit enshrined in the country's 2015 peace deal after the government extended a deadline to facilitate extra talks. Opposition parties were the last holdout after former rebels ended their boycott on Tuesday to attend a conference designed to ensure the shaky peace accord which remains on cause. Their government and pro-Bamako armed groups are also represented at the event. The new round of talks is expected to begin on, th- on Monday. Nigeria's President Mohamedou Isafou says he will not amend the constitution to allow him to seek a third term after his second and final mandate ends in 2021. The Nigerian constitution limits the presidential mandate to two five-year terms. 65-year-old Isafou was elected in March last year for another five years after his first term. Nigeria has never experienced a real democratic transfer of power since its independence in 1960. And finally, the United Nations Security Council has cut the troop cap by 18% for its peacekeeping mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo after reaching a compromise with the United States. The 15-member council unanimously renewed the 1.2 billion US dollar mission for another year with a troop cap of 16,215. This amid UN warnings that violence was spreading across the Central African state ahead of elections later this year. That's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you. And in our top story, the United Nations Security Council has unanimously renewed for one year the mandate of its peacekeeping mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo, but reduced its troop cap from almost 20,000 to just over 16,000. Despite growing concerns over the political and security situation ahead of presidential elections this year, Council did not accede to a request from the Secretary General for the deployment of an additional two police units after pressure from the United States to cut the size and costs of peacekeeping missions around the world. The Council has paid tribute to two UN investigators and an interpreter brutally murdered in the country after their bodies were discovered earlier this week. Show and Bryce Peace has more. 
Human rights investigators Michael Sharp of the United States, Swedish national Zayda Catalan and their interpreter Betu Cintella became victims of negative forces in Kasai province, prompting this moment of silence in the council. Michael and Zayda lost their lives seeking to bring peace to the Democratic Republic of the Congo and its people. I now invite council members to rise to observe a minute of silence in their memory and in the memory of all the victims of violence in the DRC. The mandate extension unanimously adopted, but troop cuts will not affect the 3,000-strong force intervention brigade to which South Africa contributes a battalion. The UK's ambassador, Matthew Rycroft, who is also the president of the council for March. The resolution sends a clear message in response. And in particular, we welcome that it does these three things. It gives clear priority to the essential tasks of protecting civilians and supporting the implementation of the political agreement. It reaffirms the importance of human rights, including monitoring and reporting on human rights in the context of the elections. And it retains MONUSCO's robust mandate to tackle armed groups in order to protect civilians, including through the intervention brigade. United States Ambassador Nikki Haley. When we look at these peacekeeping missions, what we need to focus on is it's not the number of people we have on the ground. It's the quality of the work that's happening on the ground. And so what we were seeing is an area where, yes, we can have thousands and thousands of troops, but if they're not really working to keep the Congolese safe, none of that matters. And so um, with that, I was very pleased that we did cut the troop ceiling but we made sure that where the troops are are actually going to be more effective. SADC welcomed the mandate's renewal but expressed concerns about the political situation in the country. Augustine Mahiga is Tanzania's foreign minister and chair of the SADC organ on politics. Security concerns shouldn't again this time be used by the government and other political actors in Kinshasa to renege or delay the political commitment arrived on the 31st of December last year. In this regard, we believe MONUSCO will have a special responsibility in securing a political space to permit free, fair and peaceful election. Tanzania, Malawi and South Africa all contribute contingents to the Force Intervention Brigade that is confronted by the changing nature of combat operations that include asymmetric attacks and guerrilla tactics by various armed groups in the region, while elections this year remain a huge concern. The logistics of organizing elections in the DRC are daunting indeed. SADC is inviting and urging the international community to support the Congolese Electoral Commission in the registration of voters and organizing countrywide elections. Equally urgent is the need of all of us engaged in the partnership to put pressure on all political actors in the DRC to overcome the current political impasse in implementing the December 31st agreement. A SADC ministerial mission is expected to visit the DRC in the next two weeks. I'm Sherman Bricebees in New York. Malawi's Special Law Commission has recommended wide-sweeping changes to electoral laws that would see, among others, the country adopting the 50-plus-1 system for electing the president. George Mango has more from Blantyre. 
The Special Law Commission in its final report has found out that the election of a president through the present first-past-the-post mode has challenges regarding the legitimacy where the winner gets less than 50% of the total votes cast. With the exception of Bakili Muluzi in 1999 and Bingo Wamutarika in 2009, nine of the elections since 1994 elections have produced presidents with a 50 plus 1 majority. The commission says it is necessary for legislation to provide that for a person to be declared a winner in a presidential election, they must amass 50 plus 1 percent of the total votes cast. It recommends that presidential candidates and their running mates should be those with a minimum qualification of a first degree or its equivalent from a recognized institution. Candidates for members of parliament and councillor positions should be holders of Malawi School Certificate of Education and be able to speak and read English. Opposition United Democratic Front leader Atbele Molozi backs the changes. I personally marched with Malawians and demonstrated with Malawians on the 17th of July where I was tear gassed and many Malawians lost their lives. I have been jailed because I believed that we need to take a new direction to bring a new type of politics. The Commission further proposes for the amendment of Section 62 of the Constitution to add to the composition of the National Assembly each district as a single-member constituency in which only women shall contest as candidates for election as members of parliament. The Commission also recommends that Section 81 of the Constitution be amended to provide that the swearing-in ceremony of the President and Vice President-elect be done after 30 days and not within 30 days as currently provided. Malawians share the same view on the matter. The electoral body needs to revisit the laws which are governing the uh, tripartite elections, which is we are talking of the councillors as well as parliamentary, as well as presidential uh, elections. It has been noted that the, the past general election had so many challenges. Uh, the first one was that the civic, time for civic education was so too short, thereby making people not to be aware of, of exactly what to do during the time of polling station. There were some inequalities and some problems which we as Malawians were not properly taught, like the NGOs didn't do the right civic education to the people. The Mao Electoral Commission as well contributed to the failure of that elections. And the, due to the high literacy level in Malawi, a lot of people couldn't understand what they were trying to mean by the tripartite elections. The Malawi Electoral Commission should take it from far, not just during the election or when elections are closer. Because we Malawians we don't know what tripartite elections are. Because during the first time when we were having these particular councillors and the MPs performing together with the presidential candidates, we were not doing it together. So they need to have some time to prepare it thoroughly so that during elections should not be those particular anomalies. The report also proposes the financial independence of the Malawi Electoral Commission make through the establishment of elections management fund. But what is the take of President Peter Mutarika on the matter? We need a new morality in Maori politics. We need leaders who are loyal, not unprincipled leaders who move from party to party to party. No wonder that most of these politicians who move from party to party to party 
in the last election. Besides proposing the consolidation and harmonization of all electoral laws to ensure that they speak to each other, the report proposes the introduction of six bills, including Constitution Amendment, Electoral Commission Amendment, Presidential, Parliamentary and Local Government Elections, Elections Management Fund, Assumption of the Office of President, and Referendum Bill. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Let's go back in time to today in 1996. Five members of South Africa's extreme right-wing organization, the AWB, were sentenced to 26 years imprisonment each for their part in bombing and a bombing campaign in which 20 people were killed and hundreds injured aimed at disrupting the 1994 elections. That was today in history in the year 1996. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa, najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du Soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's 8.18 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Channel Africa, the African Perspective. The UN says the number of Syrian refugees is now more than 5 million and their situation is getting worse. UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency, wants more countries to fulfill their pledges on resettling those fleeing the conflict in Syria, which is now in its seventh year. From neighboring Jordan, UNHCR Scott Craig tells Daniel Johnson what life is like for those seeking shelter in the country and the impact of Jordan, which is hosting more than 650,000 Syrian refugees alone. They're getting poorer, they're finding it more difficult to be able to send their kids to school, they're finding it difficult to be able to pay the rent and to be able to find meaningful employment and, and livelihood and so on. So the situation for refugees here in the region is getting essentially worse. We have 70% of refugees who are living below the poverty line. And so the fact that we've now officially gone over the 5 million mark is a slightly arbitrary figure because we have been around there for some time. But so I think that the main message is we have millions of refugees here now in the region. Syria remains the largest humanitarian and refugee crisis. And the 
spillover, if you like, of the conflict in Syria is really being felt most profoundly and most deeply here in the region. I'm in Jordan now. I'm actually physically on my way to the Tari refugee camp to have a look at projects there. And it's a stark reminder from being in a country here in Jordan where there are 655,000 refugees from the Syrian conflict. It is a stark reminder of the, the impact, the human, of the ongoing human impact of the Syrian crisis here in the countries of the region. And Scott Craig, you were saying that you're heading to Zatari camp in Jordan, and I just really would like to know what the mood is there. Do they have a sense that they're waiting for resettlement from the international community? You say they're increasingly vulnerable. How long can they hang on? I think it might be interesting for your listeners to know that you know, when you go to a refugee camp, people are incredibly resilient, and life goes on. Businesses come up. However, of course, no one wishes to be in a refugee camp, and so this is not the ideal situation for people. However, you know, as I have said, it is a stark reminder for, uh, I think, everyone, the international community and everyone listening, of the human impact of the ongoing crisis in Syria, now into its seventh year of war. And it is a reminder of that impact as we cross officially the, the five million refugee threshold. And UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency, is calling for the international community again to really fulfill that pledge to resettle 10% of Syrian refugees by 2018. Only half of that number, 250,000, have actually been pledged and all of these people need to be settled by 2018. So how does UNHCR suggest that the international community actually does that? We recognize and we welcome the work that has been done until now, but of course it needs to be done. Uh, you cite the figures there, which we, which we put in our release. I think it is important um, to, to remind the world of the, the necessity of this and the gravity of this and link it back to the humanitarian situation. I mean, the, the, the reason why this is so is because of the, 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 the worsening uh, condition for many refugees and the worsening conditions for people inside Syria, because I think we mustn't also forget the situation inside Syria itself, where 13.5 million people are in need of some form of humanitarian assistance, and over 6 million people are internally displaced and have been forced from their homes. And these are all, frankly, quite staggering numbers. And so I think that uh, today, when we put out yet another staggering number, it is important to remind ourselves of the human impact of that and the necessity for resettlement, as you mentioned, which is one tool, but the, the human impact of the ongoing crisis in Syria. That was UNHCR Scott Craig speaking to UN Radio's Daniel Johnson. South Africa's Speaker of Parliament, Malegambete, has begun processing a request by two opposition parties to table a motion of no confidence against President Jacob Zuma. The Democratic Alliance and the Economic Freedom Fighters requested that Parliament convene speedily to discuss the motion. This is in the wake of President Jacob Zuma's decision to sack former Finance Minister Pravin Gordon and his deputy MWC Jonas last Thursday. The reshuffle has also been met with fierce criticism by civil society and senior leaders within the ruling African National Congress. Amos Pajo has more. 
National Assembly Speaker Valika Mbete arrived back at home from Bangladesh where she was leading a multi-party delegation of South African Parliament to the Assembly of International Parliamentary Unions. She says while the session was crucial, she had to cut down her participation in the light of the recent developments which have thrust the constitutional role of Parliament into the matter. These developments include the Speaker of the National Assembly being cited as a respondent in the matter between the official opposition and the President of the Republic at the Western Cape High Court, in which the official opposition sought to interdict the swearing-in of new members of the executive. The court was, amongst others, asked to compel Parliament to urgently schedule a motion of no confidence in the President. No finding was made against the Speaker in respect of the relief sought by the official opposition. Mbeta says the request for a debate on the motion will be prioritized. As and when a motion of this magnitude is called and is in line with the rules, it must be scheduled and must receive priority. I will therefore, as of today, begin a process of consultation contemplated in the rules in the consideration of the request submitted. I envisage that the consultation should be concluded as soon as possible. Once the consultation process is concluded, my office will duly write to all the parties involved to advise them of the outcome. Meanwhile, pressure is mounting on President Zuma to step down. Some civil society organizations and political parties called for a national protest to force the president out of office. However, the ANC's chief whip, Jackson Mtembu, says the upcoming National Working Committee and National Executive Committee meetings of the ANC will reflect deeply on the ongoing furor caused by President Zuma's cabinet reshuffle. I call it a crisis. Others might call it something else. But the crisis that confronts us today, the leadership of the African National Congress will be able to deal decisively with this crisis. These are difficult questions, I can assure you. The leadership of the ANC will be able to deal with these matters. You have a National Working Committee that is meeting tomorrow. You also have probably an NEC that will come. We will be able to deal with these issues and give leadership. And that's what the people of South Africa expect. It remains unclear how long it will take before Mbete takes a decision on the motion. She, however, indicated that in an event where the motion is agreed upon, due process will follow. Section 102 of the Constitution requires that the President and the entire Cabinet resign from their positions if the motion is agreed to. I'm Amos Powell in Johannesburg. Now let's go back in time to today in 1968, the day before he was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, U.S. civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his famous mountaintop speech to a rally of striking sanitation workers. That was today in history in the year 1968. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Now, Saturday's memorial service for late ANC stalwart Ahmed Kathrada has degenerated into yet another bashing platform against South Africa's President Jacob Zuma's leadership in government. Several speakers, including SACP Second Deputy Secretary Solima Paila, Kathrada's widow Barbara Hogan, as well as the CEO of the Ahmed Kathrada Foundation, Nishan Balton, were among some of the speakers who criticized President President Zuma, particularly his relationship with the Gupta family, and called on him to step down. Amos Pajo has more. In a rousing speech, the sacked Minister of Finance, Pravin Kodan, told a cheering crowd packed into the Johannesburg City Hall that the country was in a crisis. Kodan used his address to lash out at the reasons for his removal from office. He dismissed reasons cited by President Zuma to remove him. Kodan says the intelligence report which the President relied on for his decision lacks credibility. Why did the grandstander go wrong? Why aren't we listening to what the highest court in this country asks us to do some three years ago. That is when suddenly many of us engage in blame shifting. I also want you to applaud the leaders of our trade union federations who went out to meet investors and ratings agencies and so on. It wasn't about meeting secretly with somebody in terms of the so-called intelligence report. It was a very unintelligent intelligence report. (laughs) The one thing Cathy will ask us to watch out for is that state capture mustn't become economic sabotage. Katrada's widow Barbara Hogan called on President Zuma once again to step down as per the request of her late husband in 2015. She also lambasted President Zuma for his decision to remove Godan from his position. Hogan says the president has sacrificed the ideas of democracy for corruption and greed. If you had ears to hear and eyes to see, you would have not appointed four finance ministers in less than three years. You would not be pursuing a nuclear deal that will be the destruction of all of us. And you would have fired Faith Mutambi and Patabile Dlamini. If you had ears to hear and eyes to to see you would step down as Cathy Ricard. The South African Communist Party has called on the ANC to choose between the country and the wealthy, politically connected Gupta family. SACP Second Deputy Secretary Solima Paila. The ANC, as well as the Alliance Movement as a whole, have a choice to make either President Zuma or the people of South Africa. The ANC must choose either the people of this country or the Guptas. At this conjuncture of our revolution, at this moment, governance and good governance is a critical pillar of our revolution. That is why we can't understand and even accept the removal of ministers who were the symbol of good governance, like Pravin Godan and Derek Haneko. The CEO of the Ahmed Kathrada Foundation, Nishan Balton, 
called on organizations to come together in the next 48 hours to organize a mass protest against the recent cabinet reshuffle. He says one big demonstration will be more meaningful. A small march here, a small march there, a small picket, a small demo is useful, but is of limited impact. If only all the different institutions can find a way of coming together in the next 48 hours and plan one mass-based campaign that allows all of us to participate. I think we have a better chance of success, whether it's COSATU, the new federation, whether it's the party, whether it's the EFF, whether it's the TA, find ways of coming together to take us out of this mess. It is still unclear whether government will arrange another official memorial service for Ahmed Katranam following a last-minute announcement that the occasion which was scheduled to take place on Saturday has been postponed indefinitely. That report by Amos Pajo. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. In the headlines, leader of South Africa's opposition DA, Musi Maimani, has convened a meeting of leaders of all opposition parties to agree on the way forward to remove President Jacob Zuma from office. Mali's opposition parties have ended their boycott of a political summit enshrined in the country's 2015 peace deal after the government extended a deadline to facilitate extra talks. And Niger's President Mohamedou Issafou says he will not amend the constitution to allow him to seek a third term after his second and final mandate ends in 2021. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. Newly appointed South Africa's Finance Minister Malusi Gigaba has acknowledged that the sacking of his predecessor, Pravin Gordon, has deeply divided South Africans. Gigaba was addressing the media in the capital, Pretoria. He says he's committed to ensuring that the country's resources benefit its people. Maluti Obuseng has more. Finance Minister Malusi Gigaba's first talk to media, which is the second interaction with them, drew a huge interest as both local and international media were present. Gigaba says he is committed to a measured fiscal consolidation path. He added that there is growing consensus in the ANC that transformation of the economy has been too slow and superficial. Gigaba also committed to ensuring that the country's resources benefit all its people. He says radical transformation is needed. The overarching message of this is that we need to radically transform the South African economy such that it works for all South Africans, including those who have been and still continue to this day to be marginalized. The working people and the poor, black people in general, women and youth. There needs not to be a contradiction between inclusive growth and radical economic transformation. There can be no economic progress that leaves the majority of our people behind. Gigaba Feda says the court case between his predecessor, former finance minister Pravin Goran, and Gupta owned companies over the closure of their bank accounts will not be withdrawn. I think that uh, the issues that are before courts are going to remain before the courts 
until they are resolved at that level because I don't think it's my responsibility right now to take any decision either to withdraw cases or to plead differently in case cases have been uh, lodged against us. So the, the current case is not going to be withdrawn. Meanwhile, Treasury Director General Lungi Safuzile says as executive has changed, they don't get affected, neither is their jobs. He says the staff is committed to executing their duties regardless of who is at the head of the department. He says there's no reason whatsoever for any staff to feel disgruntled due to changes. Naturally, most people are in their jobs first and foremost because they have got qualifications that enable them to perform those jobs. Uh, because they are committed to the cause of transforming our country, less because uh, uh, there is a particular minister or not a particular minister. And the critical thing is that the constitution hasn't changed, the PFMA hasn't changed, and all the laws that undergird our work have not changed. They are still what they are. Fuzile Feather says the country will only purchase nuclear energy at the stage it is able to afford such. It is likely we would have nuclear and if and when we buy it, we can only buy it at a pace and a scale that we can afford it. It is only logical. The disappearance of an allocation for, neutral, from, from, for nuclear from the budget is not a mystery. Then there would be no reason to build the capacity so that in government, so that ESCOM does it, are you with me? So that's where the, the, it, it's not as mysterious as people make it. Newly appointed Deputy Minister Sfiso Butelezi concurs with Fuzile in terms of tightening the wallet. Butelezi, who has been in the struggle for over 30 years, says careful budgeting is of utmost importance. One thing that again I think we'll, I'll, I'll be communicating to my, to my colleagues is that we cannot spend money that we don't have. That's very important. And we cannot spend money that we can't afford. For me, budgeting for the state, for government, is not different from the household budgeting. Once you become reckless in your house with borrowing, once you become reckless with your spending, you know what happens. The banks will come knocking at your door. So that's the microcosm of the macroeconomics that we are dealing with here now. The new finance executives are expected to meet their predecessor Monday for a formal handover. I'm Malud Ubuseng, Pretoria. Let's go back in time to today in the year 2001. The death toll in a meningitis outbreak in Burkina Faso tops 1,000. The government and the World Health Organization scrambles to secure a vaccine to control the epidemic from spreading to neighboring countries. That was today in history in the year 2001. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The East African community member states are being urged to facilitate the implementation of the recommendations from the 6th EAC Scientific Conference on Health and to establish competitive fund to support research and innovations in a bid to improve the lives of people in the region. Bernard Bankukira has more from Bujumbura. We regional health competitive fund to support research and innovation. 
This is Pierre Claver Kazuhise, the chairman of the Burundi National Steering Committee, reading out recommendations formulated during the 6th Annual Scientific Conference on Health and International Exhibition of Health Products that was organized in Bujumbura from 29th to 31st March this year. More than 600 participants from the East African community gathered in Bujumbura exchanged their experiences through various presentations on vaccines, diagnostics and antimicrobial products in the control of communicable diseases, antimicrobial resistance, health systems and social mobilization in the fight against emerging diseases, epidemics and pandemics among others. All this in a bid to promote health conditions of the people of the East African community Jondo Djungirabega is the deputy chairman of the East African Research Commission. He says the conference enabled participants to know where they are in the preparedness and response to emerging diseases, epidemics and pandemics. We're here during these three days to see how our countries are prepared to address, to fight against uh, epidemics, outbreaks and, uh, and pandemics. So we have discussed, we had uh, researchers from the, all the partners of the East African community. They have presented what they do, they are doing in research, in terms of research on uh, epidemics, on pandemics. We have discussed the, the, the situation now. We know now where we are. We have uh, tried to, to evaluate to set us where we are in preparation because when we talk about epidemics and pandemics and outbreaks, this is about preparations first, prevention. You have to prepare it so that once uh, an outbreak occurs, you are ready to, to, to fight it. So we are talking about preparations and uh, we are happy that uh, our countries are well prepared. Second, you have also to be ready to fight now when it comes. And we have discussed uh, many, many sub-scenes Especially, we have, because uh, I'm talking about uh, infectious diseases, I've talked uh, about antimicrobial resistance. And this is a very big challenge for, for, for the region. Uh, we have talked about how, to, how to, to manage it, how to control it, so that we avoid losing medicines. That, that are the weapons that we are using to fight uh, epidemics. Researchers are done across the East African community and research findings and recommendations are given. Now, how does the East African Health Commission help the EAC member states to implement these findings and recommendations. Before talking about maybe implementing uh, findings, what we are saying is that we do research and we discover evidences. Those evidences that we discover, now we have to translate them into policies. So those policies are going to be implemented now by partner states. So this is the, let's say, the cycle. We, we translate our findings into policies that are implemented at the community level. So the, what the commission is now is now doing is now to to work with partners to to translate all what we have as research as findings in, in in countries into policy. Now, once you have a policy, now the question is how to implement it because this is not easy. It's easy to to say, but it's not too easy to do. So implementation, enforcement, enforcement of policies. So this is what we, we are now targeting in the future. After this conference, we have post-conference meetings to discuss now what we have discussed there as a recommendation so it can be implemented at partner state level. That is going to be our goal. Mr. Ngirabega says among major challenges they are facing to implement recommendations include human skills and limited financial resources. He says relevant recommendations and resolutions have been reached to better serve the community. Challenges, once we talk about uh, implementation, you have to have the skills to implement. Uh, this, is in, this is in terms of human uh, resources, this is in terms of financial resources, 
and, and so on. And uh, as you know, financial resources are always limited. But we, what we are saying is that we want to use the optimally what we have. So with what we have, we are trying to use it as optimally as possible so that at least we do what we can do with what we have. What can the people from the East African community hope from the three-day conference in Bujumbura? The, what they can hope is that uh, this conference has taken uh, measures, recommendations that are going to, to be implemented in order to control outbreaks in the region, to control epidemic and pandemics in the region. This conference has, has discussed the, the problem of uh, antimicrobial resistance and we have taken uh, resolutions to, to limit the progression of this uh, antimicrobial resistance and uh, also we have taken the, the resolution of uh, working on research findings that we have to translate them into policies policies that are going to, to serve the community to have uh, better health. Among key recommendations formulated to the East African Community Secretariat, Member States and Research Commission include the establishment of a competitive fund to support research innovations, strengthening routine, integrated and cross-border surveillance system capacity on early detection, identification and monitoring of infectious diseases of humans, animals, ecosystems and their interactions establishment of a regional center of excellence for the management of outbreaks, epidemics and epidemics, strengthening laboratory capacities to perform and diagnose infectious diseases. The conference also recommended adopting approach to generate required data for surveillance and response to antimicrobial resistance to strengthen human resources so as to build a skilled workforce that can ensure effective surveillance and management of outbreaks. Participants also urged policymakers to put an end to the brain drain of health workforce and bring back highly skilled staff working in developed countries to allow them contribute towards addressing challenges in their respective home country health systems. They recommended considering regional policies for EAC member states to support each other in technical assistance and human resources during outbreaks and epidemics. The next conference is due to take place in 2019 in the United Republic of Tanzania. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Bankokera reporting from Bujumbura. My name is Tabisodo Hoku with an economics update. Good morning. The seventh annual investment meeting, AIMS, opens in Dubai this Monday. This year's theme is International Investment Paths to Competitiveness and Development. AIM gains a growing importance annually while holding its con- consequent additions. This year's edition of AIM expects to welcome more than 15,000 participants heads of states and governments, businessmen and investors from over 140 countries across the globe. French-owned oil gas giant Total has completed the acquisition of the Gulf of Africa Petroleum Corporation's assets in the three East Africa markets in a bid to strengthen its grip on the region. The oil marketing company, who's a Kenya's subsidiary Total Kenya, enjoys a leading market share, has announced it's concluded the acquisition of Gulf Africa assets trading as Capco in Kenya, Uganda and Tanzania. 
The principal assets being acquired are two logistics terminals in Mombasa, Dar es Salaam, and a retail network of more than 100 service stations. Tanzanian President John Magufuli plans to import 400,000 megawatts of electricity from Ethiopia to power its industrial drive. Despite reserves of over 57 trillion cubic feet of natural gas, Tanzania faces a chronic power shortage due to its reliance on hydropower dams in a drought-prone region for about a third of its 1.570 megawatts of installed capacity. Magufuli said at a joint news conference with the visiting Ethiopian Prime Minister Haley Miriam Desseligan in Dar es Salaam that the power will be transmitted through a high-voltage line linking the two nations via Kenya. Dangoti Cement has embarked on a sensitization campaign on the proper utilization of cement in the construction industry. This follows some concerns from the public that the collapsing of buildings across Africa is being attributed to improper application of various cement brands meant for a different use. Dangoti says the sensitization campaign has been initiated for the purpose of enlightening the public on the best application of the product. Average yields on Egypt's three-month treasury bills have risen, while the yield on nine-month treasury bills were stable at an auction on Sunday. Yields on the three-month bills rose to an average 19.418% from 19.375%, at the most recent similar auction. Yields on the nine-month bills were stable at 19.178%. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.39 in South Africa. It's at 10.37 in Botswana, 9.65 in Zambia, 7.9 to the British pound, 9.3 to the euro. Gold $1,248, platinum $952 an ounce, brand crude $53.40 a barrel. You're listening to Channel Africa, The African Perspective. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. Figile, you say there's possibly conditions. Um, if Baxter is to take up that position of uh, Bafana Bafana coach, he wants his son to be the goalkeeper for Bafana Bafana. Yeah, that that. How that does that work? Well, it's. I think it, it happens in every industry. If you you move from one department and then you 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 will ask for people that you trust. Uh, no, even when in football, I, I'm not sure it hasn't happened before. But most of the time, you get. <laughs> is he wait let's go back yeah isn't baxter british yeah he's scottish scottish yeah. okay so his son is what scottish <sighs> he should be he should become yeah the, he brought him here 
Okay. Yeah. All right. So how does that then work? Well, it doesn't matter. You, it's like an employee as well. He has to get uh, the benefits. No. no. The, proper, the, the proper, the proper papers as uh, as an employee of a South African Football Association or a team. Which that is, is a permit, with. right? Yeah, a work permit. Okay. So he has to and go then, through the process. Yes. So then, how does his son then, if if it is true, because it's still, yeah, it is you still know, a story specu- it's still a rumor, yeah, speculation, and so that on. That needs to be So, uh, you know, I'd, I, okay. Which team does his son play for in South Africa, if no, there's any? His, t- his son, I, I haven't seen in any team that he's assigned to. Ah, yeah, yeah. So I think <laughs> he, he's, he's got the papers to be the, the goalkeeper coach. Then he needs him to be part and parcel of Bafana Bafana Fold. Mm, okay. Give us the rest of the sporting news. We're starting off with rugby news. South African Rugby Union has appointed former Springbok midfielder Brandon Fender in a consulting capacity as their new defence and exit coach for the Springboks. A 47-year-old medical doctor is an experienced coach with considerable international experience gained from various coaching and director of rugby stints in South Africa, England and Italy. Fender, a Rugby World Cup winner with the Springboks in 1995, has joined the Springbok coaching staff on Sunday for the second of three preparation camps at the Stellenbosch Academy of Sports. Springbok coach Alistair Kutsia says he's delighted that Fender had agreed to join the Bok coaching staff. And on to football news, South African football side Bidvest Vets coach Gavin Hand believes Super Sports United mentor Stuart Baxter is the next Bafana Bafana coach. Hunt, who has never been afraid to speak his mind, has no doubt in his mind that Baxter is headed to the Bafana Bafana seat that became vacant after Ifram Sheikh Mashaba's sacking in December last year. The Vets coach says he has never been approached by anyone at Safa House about the Bafana job and he does not expect to receive such a phone call anytime soon as the, op- the position has already been filled by Baxter. And in local football, any football match between Kaiser Chiefs of South Africa and Mamelodi Sundowns in the top eight and particularly the top five is most likely to be decided by the finer margins. Now, that's how tight Chiefs had fought their 2 and win at FNB Stadium in Johannesburg. Chiefs coach Steve Compeller maintains that their plan worked. Great match. It wasn't going to be easy. Two, two, two quality teams. And as we said in the preview, the conference, you don't come play against Sundowns and think that it's going to be easy. It, 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 it wasn't. And you could see their quality uh, when they were in possession. Their thinking in play was clear. Their desire to want to get into the midfield and dominate. And when you close the midfield, their desire to want to go high with the wing backs. If you go, you close the wing back, they come inside very thoughtful. So we needed to stay calm. Goal scored on the day. We fought for hours near post from a set piece situation and then theirs as well they, they they when they want to score they get behind your defense and you have to deal with it the second goal was a relief and even up until the fourth minute end of the match uh, we were not restful we were restless because they were still coming so you have to appreciate the quality that sundowns brings and also our resistance and a little bit of what we gave to them And Roger Federer has defeated long-standing rival Rafael Nadal 6-3-6-4 to win the Miami Open on Sunday and continue his outstanding start of the year.
That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, the UN renews its mandate of its peacekeeping mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo and South Africa's president may face another no-confidence motion. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzura Makaza, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. It's Salif Keita with the song titled Nyanyama. <laughs> Jamana ke 